You're listening to Everybody Pulls the Tarp, the go-to podcast for high performers. I'm Andrew Moses. Each week, you'll hear my thought-provoking conversations with Olympians, pro athletes, CEOs, elite coaches, best-selling authors, and other high performers to uncover their secrets to success. Get ready to be inspired each week when we talk about leadership, teamwork, work ethic, and more. Are you ready? Let's go. Hey, everybody. It's Andrew here. So the Winter Olympic Games in Beijing are just a few months away. And my guest today hopes to be there. Connor McDermott Mustoe is a speed skater with Team USA and a U.S. national champion. Connor is one of the biggest up-and-coming names to watch in his sport. And as we speak, Connor is hard at work training in hopes of making his first Olympic team and having the opportunity to compete in February at the Winter Games. If you've been listening to Everybody Pulls the Tarp for a while now, you know that we've all had the opportunity to hear from so many successful Olympians about their careers, as well as explore the techniques, mindsets, and habits that power their success. This week, I asked Connor to sit down with me for a conversation to give us all a behind-the-scenes look at his training process and how he's navigating all of the ups and downs that come with training for the Olympic Games. There are lessons for all of us to take away from my conversation with Connor. I hope you enjoy it. So let's pull that tarp and get straight to my conversation with Team USA speed skater, Connor McDermott Mustoe. Connor, so where are you right now? What are you doing? I'm currently in Salt Lake City. It's where the US national team is located for speed skating. And again, prepared to go to the World Cups in a week. You had some competition you know, in the, in the last week or so, went pretty well. What was that? Yeah, we had a World Cup trials last weekend from Thursday to Sunday. And overall, overall, it went pretty well. Definitely some up and downs. I finished second overall in the 15, uh, which has been a distance I've been working on. And with the personal best time. So best finish I've ever had, best time I've ever had. A lot of disappointment in the 1,000, which has traditionally been like my strongest distance. And I finished fifth which is the worst finish I've had in two years. So definitely not a smooth weekend, but uh, overall, it ended up turning out pretty well. So how does that affect your mindset? You know, you were three months or so away from the Olympic Games. You have some ups and downs, as you just described. How do you kind of pick up the pieces and go forward? I mean, luckily, there is a lot in between now and the Games. We have all the World Cups that we have to qualify Olympic spots in. So I have a lot of other stuff to focus on between now and the games um, or before Olympic trials. And I'm also somebody who definitely gets better throughout the year um, with more racing, more experience. And I mean, not that it will be a guarantee or a smooth, like a smooth trip to the games, but I think I'm in a really good position going into it and I'm not sweating the results of last weekend and the thousand. People are always wondering, what is it like to train for the Olympics? So take me through like a typical day or even week for you right now. What does it look like? What are you doing? Absolutely. It is a full-time job. We train about six to eight hours a day, six days a week. Um, Usually on Thursdays, we'll have like a single workout. So that's more of a recovery day. But the rest of the week, we have two to three workouts a day and we get Sunday off. 
that's what a typical week looks like for us. We generally train in blocks where we have like two weeks that look like that. And then one week like this week where after a competition, we have usually have a recovery week. And recovery weeks are, as the name suggests, uh, a lot easier and allow us to kind of recoup. How much, you know, is it physical versus mental? Like, are, are you versus analytics and video? Are you, are you, are you spending time like entirely on the, the track or on the ice? Are you spending time in the weight room? Are you spending time looking at video? What, what is kind of the makeup of everything? Um, I mean, training is very holistic. Like, we do all of that. Obviously, I would say that like a lot of it's physical, obviously. Um, it's a sport, but, you can't like you could be the strongest person in the world, and if you don't have like the mental fortitude to overcome bad days, bad races, you'll just like crumble. So there's definitely a massive mental component to skating. How do you balance like the individual like versus the team? Like obviously, when you're out there, it's an individual sport, but you're part of a team of speed skaters uh, who compete in different events, different distances. How do you how do you all work together? Yeah, I mean, it is yeah, it's like a weird like hybrid sport where you are on a team, but at the end of the day, you all compete individually. And I think that like we all want to see the best out of each other. And nobody really succeeds training alone. It's not like a sport that you can really do well if you train by yourself. Um, you need other people to push you and like an average training session for us would be too hard to handle if we had to carry all the weight of the whole workout. So there definitely is like some camaraderie there. But yeah, as you said, it's like it is an individual sport at the end of the day. And I think that we all just like push each other to get better. How do you do that? I mean, how do you, how do you kind of acknowledge that there is a little bit of competition going on between the two, you know, between, between all of you, right? There's, there's limited spots on Team USA in Beijing in February, but yet lift each other up. How do you, how do you navigate that? I, I've never thought that much on it, honestly. It's like, I think a lot of it just comes down to that it's a small sport and like we're all, everyone knows each other. We're all friends. So yeah, there's definitely competition, but there's also a lot of camaraderie. And if we do well, uh, more people get to go. So there's always the motivation for everyone to do the best that they can because we can qualify more spots for World Cups and the Olympics. And then more of the team gets to come along. That's really interesting. I didn't uh, know that. So the, the better that the team does in qualifiers, you can create more spots for Team USA and then in turn, more spots for more individuals to come to the Olympic Games. Uh, the better we do at World Cups. So, better that you do it. Yeah, the US qualifiers are used to fill the World Cup spots that we've been allotted. But how you well the team does at World Cups each year determines how many spots we'll have next year. When did you first get into speed skating? I think it's about 14 years now I've been speed skating. And how did you find the sport initially? I think most people end up stumbling upon speed skating. It's not like baseball that like, I feel like everyone like, takes a crack at when they're like a child. I've always been a very competent skater. I learned to st- I started learning to skate when I was two. And I was never really interested in hockey or figure skating. And one day in DC, when I was uh, the CNO Canal froze over, 
And so whenever that happened, like my family would go out there and skate. And some person went by in speed skates, just like randomly. And I saw the skates. I'm like, I want those skates. And so I really got into it for the equipment. (laughs) And then here I am 14 years later, still doing it. It's interesting. You're kind of drawn to the ice and you have this kind of early competence in it. And then you choose to pursue it more directly. You skated short track for a long time. And then not too long ago, transitioned to long track. Talk about that change. Yeah, I skated short track mostly out of necessity. My first coach was a three-time Olympic long track skater. And basically, since I started skating, everyone had told me I should do long track. But there are only four long tracks in the United States. And only two of them are indoors. Uh, The indoor ones are here in Salt Lake and in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where Olympic trials will be. And so that just like lack of availability limits a lot of people's ability to try to like try long track. But short track is skated on like a hockey rink. So you can do it anywhere there is an ice rink, really. And so that's like how I got into speed skating originally was short track. And I did that for eight, nine years. And I just never, I think because I'm i six foot one, uh, and that's extremely tall for a short track speed skater. And I just got very frustrated with the sport being as tall as I was. I got DQ'd a lot. And it just was not conducive to my height. And so eventually, in junior year of high school, I decided to give long track a try. I couldn't do it full time because I'd have to move. And I was really wanted to finish out high school where I was. But I gave it a try and I took to it immediately. I made the junior world team with like two weeks of long track experience under my belt and just like fell in love with it. But I had to wait until after I graduated high school at the end of 2017 or in June of 2017 before I could really make the switch to long track. That's amazing, Connor. I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to like process that, like how you made the transition. And then essentially, it like it was almost like a natural fit for you, and that kind of led you to pursue it more more intensely after after high school. For those who are not familiar with speed skating, so besides the distance, are there any other differences really between short track and long track? Yeah, uh, the biggest difference is the ice rink. A long track is four hundred meters of ice, it's like a running track of ice, and the races in long track, besides one, are skated as like time trials. So it's two people skating at a time, but you're never actually like racing the other person. You're always racing the clock as opposed to short track, which is, um, I think most people are a little more familiar with where you're racing other people and the first person across the line wins the race. And then in terms of distances, the distances in short track are also all skated in long track. And that's actually what I've ended up doing in my long track career is skate the 500,015. But in long track, there are also much longer distances. Women skate 3,000 meter and 5,000 meter race, and the men skate a 5,000 and a 10,000. Were there things that you were able to take from short track and bring to long track that you think accelerated like your adoption and success when you made the switch? Oh, absolutely. I always say that like, it's an easy transition from short track to long track. It's extremely hard to go the other way. And being a short track skater, you skate very, very tight corners. And when you switch long track, the corners, the radius of the corners get much wider. And you can carry over a lot of your like 
cornering ability from short track to long track, where like no matter how fast you're going, you're not that afraid of the corners because in short track, they were much tighter and much harder to hold. So I think that gives you an immediate leg up. And then, I mean, there are also definitely disadvantages when you switch. Like in short track, you basically never do a straightaway. And in long track, you have 200 meters of straightaway. And that's like extremely hard to work on. It's something that I'm still working on four and a half years later. So what happens next? So you you have this really quick success. You know, the, the transition, the immediate transition goes well. What was next for you? How did you go about setting a plan to say, I am going to be an Olympic athlete in long track? Because there's a, there's a big difference between having some immediate success and then being an Olympian or, and potentially a world, a world champion in the Olympics. Yeah. I mean, I definitely did not jump to that immediately. I was not like, long track's going well. I'm going to be an Olympian in four or five years. Yeah. So I switched to long track and I had pretty good success. The next year I focused, the last Olympic year, 2018, I focused just on long track and skid even better. I ended up winning a silver medal at a junior world cup and skated long track Olympic trials. I was nowhere near prepared to make the team then, but it was a pretty good year overall. But then after that, I actually decided to take a break from skating almost entirely. and just go to college and did my whole freshman year at school basically only showed up to races i didn't train that intensively um not compared to what i what i consider intensive training and that year was like i just really wanted to have like that normal college experience and i was like i'll reassess my skating at the end of that and on the races i went to actually were I did pretty well considering how little I was training. So then the next year, I decided I would train for most of the year and just go second semester to school. And that year was like a real breakout year for me where I moved out here. That was the first year I moved out here. Previously, I'd been training in Milwaukee. Moved out here, had a new coach, skated the best I ever had by a lot. And I made my first senior World Cup team. And it was like at that in that year, in that moment that I decided like, I'm going to really commit to this and double down and I'm going to try to make these next Olympic Games. Do you think, looking back, if you had not taken that break and gone to college for, for freshman year, that maybe you wouldn't be having the success today that you are having? Yeah, I go back and forth on that a lot. I definitely think... I think it helps with burnout like taking a break every once in a while. Obviously, like you can always play the game of like, what if I hadn't taken that break? What if I had just been training the whole time? Like how much better would I be now? But I've like always found that taking a break has only ever helped me in skating. It really like realigns my priorities where if you just train constantly, you can get burned out very quickly. And once I'm removed from it a little while, I really like remember why I love skating and why I want to do it. And I definitely think that played a big role in my coming back to skating and succeeding again and trying to go to these Olympic Games. One of the Olympic soccer players that I've talked to, she told me that, you know, no matter how successful, how much success she had in soccer, no matter how competitive or how hard the training got, she always wanted to remember why she got into soccer. 
And I asked her, why'd she get into soccer? She said, because when I was a kid, I was excited about the orange slices that they would give out at halftime. And she went on to win multiple World Cups, Olympics. And at the end of the day, she always thinks back to, am I having the same fun that I had when I was really just excited about the orange slices? And I wonder if kind of shifting kind of the, the state, you know, like shifting where you were, right? Shifting your mindset, taking a break, just competing and not necessarily training at the level that you're used to training and also exposing yourself to fresh ideas. You're a neuroscience major, correct? Yes. So that, that's, a whole, that's a whole different you know, ball of wax. It gives you a fresh mind, not to mention maybe fresher legs that enable you to come back and attack the training the way you are, the way you are now. So when you get back from that year off, was there, you know, like a, a steep kind of adjustment back to the training? Yes and no. It actually ended up, I think, being a little easier than I was expecting. I definitely like had to get back into it. The first couple months were hard because you just like lose you lose a lot of the muscle memory, but you also just lose a lot of muscle. Like I lost a ton of weight in my freshman year of high school or freshman year of college, which I know is like goes against the the, like the stereotype that you put on like the freshman 15, I lost like nine pounds. And I think most of that was muscle. And so the first 12 months were very hard. And I think that my coach at the time did an amazing job of kind of reintroducing me, pushing me really hard, but not like not understanding that I can't jump back into it like I could if I'd been training full time. And I think he walked that line extremely well. And I feel like I really was back into it within like two months of coming back. I feel like I was at least where I was when I left. So then once you kind of get back to the pace where you feel like you're, you're, you haven't really necessarily missed too much of a, of a beat, where do you go next? How do you take it from where you were before you took that break to now you've got to up level, you've got to continue to make progress and improvement. How do you go about setting goals, breaking all that down? Yeah, I mean... It was a very new experience because it was, I was with a coach I'd never been with before. So I didn't really know what to expect from his training program. And prior to taking that year off, I was more of a distance skater. As a junior, I was like a true all around skater where I skated everything. I wouldn't say I was great at anything, but I was like decent at everything. When I came back to skating, I, first jumped into that like all around mindset where I was trying to do distance skating, a little bit of sprinting. But my coach, he was a phenomenal sprinter. He was a three-time Olympian for the US. And he was really like a 500,000 guy. And when I came back, he was like, you need to not worry about the distance thing anymore. He was like, that's not what you're like naturally good at. He was like, we're going to focus on sprinting. And that was... Weird at first, but like definitely the correct move. And he, I mean, that's like the reason I like made the world team uh, that year was that like he was like, we're going to focus on sprinting and we're going to get you better at that. And I didn't even know what like expectations to set for myself because it's something I had never focused on. But he was like, you're going to go 108, which is a time I did not hit that year. I got pretty close, but like he would always like set like lofty goals for you and be like, you're going to do this. I'm like, all right, I'll believe you. <laughs> There's something to that. you know, And I think everybody, regardless of whether or not you're in sport or business or wh whatever you do, there is this balance right between you know, 
being good at a lot of things and being great at one or two things. And when you take an opportunity to apply focus and depth to one or two things, it's in many cases a lot easier to succeed and a lot easier to set very clear goals to understand what the inputs are that you need to to put in to achieve the outputs. You talked about a goal there, an ambitious goal that your coach set for you. Are you someone who typically needs like a wild, crazy goal? Or are you are you better off with, with maybe a more attainable goal? I think I like to hear... I like when coaches set ambitious goals for me, like times and stuff. Personally, I don't try to set goals or like... Or I don't try to set like time goals or placement goals. I don't personally find them very helpful. I tend to set goals on things that I have complete control over. So they're like technical cues that I need to work on, different aspects of skating that like I'm very weak on. And that's my goal for the year is to like fix those things. And that's very much in my control. I can focus on that every single day. It's not some like enigma that like might happen that like I don't know, I don't have any real control over how anyone else is gonna skate. So I don't know what placement I should be aiming for. Obviously, I want to win, but like, I don't know. Going into a trial is like, oh, I want to finish second. Like, I might finish second. I might finish fifth. We'll see. So I try to focus on things that I can control completely. Well, it's it's an interesting concept that you point to there, Connor. I mean, it's it's really something that I talk about a lot, which is like inputs versus outputs, right? The inputs you can generally control, right? So if someone says I want to read more, right? Well, why well, say how many pages do you want to read? You know, how many pages are you going to read a day, right? That's where you start. You know, you, if you want to read three hundred pages in a in a three hundred page book in a month, uh, you've got about thirty days. You've got to read ten pages a day. That's your input. Things that you can control. It's interesting how you how you look at it. You focus on these these technical things that you have control over that you can improve on with these technical these technical pieces to your craft, do you feel immediate improvement when you're really focused on those things? Or are they typically take a long time to, to develop? It really depends on what the thing is. There are some technical improvements that you can make that you like immediately feel better, especially when you have lots of improvements to make. Then each individual one, I feel like, plays a bigger role. Um, when you start to like skate technically, sound and then like the improvements become more marginal and it takes i feel like it takes a lot longer to see the fruits of those improvements but it is definitely something that like throughout the course of a year or even like the course of a month you can feel and see massive improvement what do you do to like push yourself when you're not feeling that improvement that you think you should be feeling like how do you stick with it it's something that I've gotten like a lot better at um, as I've been doing it longer. So now I can really just like put it in perspective where I'm like, sometimes fixing stuff, you feel worse when you're trying to fix it than you did before you ever like attempted to fix it. And then in the end, you'll end up skating better or feeling better. But like while you're in the process of fixing some error you're making, you feel a lot worse and you go slower. Um, and I've just been in it long enough now that like I know to trust that process and even though right now I don't feel great I in a month when I've actually fixed whatever needs to be fixed I will feel a lot better 
change is so uncomfortable many times in whatever you're doing. And I think what it comes down to is you're getting away from something that feels comfortable, something that you had been able to repeat and create pattern around. And you're, you're distancing yourself from what you know. When you think about kind of where we are right now, we're, we're just about three months and change away from the Olympic Games. How are you thinking about the next few months? As I said earlier, I, yeah, I don't try to like set like goal, like large goals. Like I'm not like, obviously I want to make the Olympic team, but I have a lot of things I can focus on between now and then. So really, I'm just like, my first, like the last week, my goal was to make this world team. Now we're leaving to, for the world cups on November 5th. And I get to, I have a lot of stuff to focus on. I can focus on skating well over there and continuing like the technical improvements I need to make in the meantime. And that's like kind of how I handle it. Cause like thinking about like the Olympics is a lot of stress, especially like every time I see a banner that Team USA puts out, it's like a hundred days to go. We just like crossed that mark a couple days ago. Like that is anxiety inducing. <laughs> but if I think about all the stuff I have between now and then, like it feels so far away. And I feel like I have the time and like I'll have enough practice between now and then that I'll be like all good to go. There's enough little things to focus on, in other words, that you can wake up every day or break your day into pieces and and have enough to focus on, enough to worry about, enough to devote your attention to that, you know, you just have to put one foot in front of the next. Absolutely. So, Connor, before I let you go, when you think about that potential moment of being named to your first Olympic team, what do you what do you think about? How do you how do you think that will feel it's so hard to like imagine as we get closer i can like imagine it more but i don't think i'm even gonna be able to believe it until like i'm in team processing and yeah i don't even know like i'm not like a very emotional person but like seeing like when people make olympic teams and like a moment in the olympics can like actually like really get me going so who knows like maybe i'll cry we'll see (laughs) Connor, all I all I can tell you is we're all rooting for you here. You live the everybody pulls the tarp mindset. You're focused on the little things, step by step, taking it day by day, doing you know all of those small incremental things that make a big difference when it comes to powering success. We're all going to be rooting for you between now and February, and hopefully we'll be we'll be cheering loud for you uh, as you race around that track in Beijing. Connor, thanks so much for spending a few minutes with me this week, and keep pulling the tarp. All right, my friend. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me this week. Be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you can catch all of our upcoming episodes. And if you are like me and want a world full of tarp pullers, then leave a review to help others find us. You can also follow me on Instagram at andrewmoses123 and sign up for my monthly email newsletter at everybodypullsthetarp.com slash newsletter. I'll share tips and insights to help you achieve maximum success and happiness. Today is a great day to pull the tarp. I am rooting for you. See you next time.